Hello, and welcome to the Red Kill Mountain Homestead Farms podcast. I am your host, Ashley Rossi, coming to you from the beautiful Catskill Mountains of New York State. The days are getting longer and the maple sap is starting to flow. That means spring is right around the corner. This is also a great time of year to get started with chickens or ducks or any other poultry. So today we have Kristen from the Chicken Librarian coming on to talk about all things chickens with us. Kristen, aka the Chicken Librarian, lives right on the Delaware River and has been homesteading for over 10 years. Kristen does many things, including teaching courses on pie making from scratch, knitting, beer and bread making, and she even hunts her own deer. And of course, Kristen has chickens on her homestead, and it is a passion of hers, hence the awesome moniker, the Chicken Librarian. Today, we cover everything you want to know about adding chickens to your homestead, why they are a great resource, what it takes, and what you can expect. It's an in-depth conversation about chickens and homesteading, two things Kristen and myself are super passionate about. There are a few topics on the subject that we did not cover in this episode, so look for a part two to this conversation soon. Enjoy. All right, Kristen, thank you for joining us today and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah. So there are actually a lot of things that I would love to talk to you about. Um, You do many, many things and many things that I wish I could do. And I'm hoping someday to learn from you. But today um, with the season, with like we went to tractor supply and we saw baby ducks and chicks, I figured today would be a great time to have you on the show and talk all about chickens and do a deep dive on chickens um, cause you have a lot of background there and a lot of expertise there. Um, so before we get started with talking about chickens, I think you should let the audience know a little bit about yourself, um, your background and how you came to homesteading. As you said, I am Kristen and uh, my business is chicken librarian and I live on the West branch of the Delaware, uh, river in, um, on the PA side of Hancock, New York. And we've lived here for a few years now, and my husband um, manages a fly fishing uh, lodge called the Delaware River Club, and that's where I homestead. So it's kind of an interesting situation that we have. We have, um, he does the fly fishing end of it, and I do gardening and making from scratch and raising chickens and um, teaching classes is basically what I do now. I used to do some products, um, and I'm you know, bringing some stuff back in terms of like kits and things like that. But I really enjoy teaching classes and in putting the resources into people's hands so they can do any sort of homesteading that they want to do. And, um, you know, which kind of led us to meeting and, you know, led us here to this podcast and talking about chickens. Exactly. So did you, would you say you started um, homesteading out of necessity or just out of a joy or just what would you say was the impetus for starting your homestead? You know, that's a really interesting question. So my dad grew up, I grew up in East Tennessee and my dad grew up on it like an 80 acre working farm. And my grandparents, my mom's parents lived across the road from us and they did, you know, they had chickens and goats and horses and a big garden and stuff. And I don't, like I didn't grow up with that because my my parents were very much not into that. So the older I got and I moved away, you know, you move out of the house and then, you know, you get married and you're like, I don't know. It's just, we moved to the country and um, I just fell in love with it. So I guess it was in my blood kind of, but it, it wasn't something I grew up with. It was just one day I just, I, I don't even remember what happened. I just, one day I was like, I just really need to have chickens in a garden and I need to make things from scratch. And I've always kind of um, enjoyed um, that kind of stuff and being healthy. And I, I think it comes from like, just, I guess a self-sufficient, not relying on um, outside sources for things and just making things with my hands gives me a lot of, you know, I don't know, satisfaction. And would you say, so you're self-taught then? I mean, you had, you have the background, your parents were there doing 
um, growing up on a farm. So it is in your genes, it's in your blood, but these things were you self-taught, would you say on all of your, all of the things? Yes. 100%. I, you know, occasionally I'll take a class or something if there's, you know, something of interest like seed starting or a gardening class or just to, because you're always learning. That's the one thing I feel like, um, you know, you know a lot of stuff, you learn a lot of stuff, but you're always learning. There's always more to know. But I definitely 100% self-taught. I just, you know, sometimes I dive right in and, you know, you learn by doing, learn by your mistakes or whatever. Sometimes I really take the time to research stuff. Um, sometimes I jump right in and then I research because you realize you've done something, you know, why isn't this plant growing or whatever? And, you know, you're like, you have to go back to step one or whatever, but definitely self-taught for sure. Yes. And speaking of research, you're actually professionally a librarian. Hi. And that's how you became the chicken librarian. Yes. Yes. So, so yes. Um, I got my first flock of chickens. We actually had lived, um, we, we moved to Pennsylvania, um, 20 years ago and then about 10 or 12 years ago, we moved back to Tennessee and that's whenever I got my first flock of chickens. And, um, so I had started on, I'm a knitter. And so there's this um, website called Ravelry and it's for like fiber artists and it's just a big social media type thing. And it's also like, you can buy patterns, you can learn, you know, you can connect with other makers and stuff. And I needed a um, username for that. And I came up with chicken librarian because I had <laughs> chickens and I was a librarian. And so I, and so then that stuck. And whenever I started my business, I thought, well, I've had this name for, you know, whatever, 10, 12, 15 years, whatever it was. And I had once upon a time started another blog and I think I called it chicken librarian and then I just never did anything with it. And so whenever it came time to start my business, I was like, well, I already have this name and it's kind of catchy and it kind of, you know, describes who I am a little bit. So I just kind of stuck. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And I mean, yeah, let's talk about chickens then, because that is so I, we also homestead, I homestead here, but I'm not um, anywhere near <laughs> doing the things that you're doing, like knitting and making pies or scratch. There's things that I want to do more. Um, and we also got into it for the same reasons, which is we definitely wanted healthier food. Um, we definitely wanted to, to have like a more of a meaningful connection to the land. Um, and there's nothing better than that, than growing your garden, you know, having a garden or installing some chickens. Um, and so that's the reason I wanted to have you on. We, we have ducks here. Um, but it was a big leap, um, for us to add livestock onto the property. It was a big leap because we just never felt ready. It just requires another level of planning when you, and you know, because you're bringing on like live animals. Right. So you want to have a good plan. You also want to have some reverence towards these livestock and give them a good, like integrity, uh, integral life. So maybe you could tell us about your planning that you did ahead of time or what did you not plan? Did you just jump right in? I <laughs> think I jumped right in. <laughs> That was one of those, well, let me take that back. That's not necessarily true. I knew I wanted chickens because I feel like chickens are kind of the gateway animal. You know, they're not, they don't require a lot, right? You, you get them as, you can get them as chicks, you can get them as adults, whatever it is that you decide to do. If you get them as chicks, there's like a little bit of work that goes into them in terms of you've got to brood them, you've got to raise them up, and then you've got to give them their outside shelter and stuff. And once you kind of have that stuff in place, there's not a ton of maintenance that goes into keeping chickens. So I thought it was a really good place to start. Um, and I highly recommend that if you're looking to start your homestead and you want to do, you don't, you don't want to jump full in and do everything from scratch, get you some chickens start a little garden, mm -hmm. you know, those are really easy things to start with. Um, but I probably did some research. I probably, you know, like I read a book and you know, whatever, maybe I read a couple articles or whatever, but 
I had a friend, we were in Tennessee at the time, like I said, and I had a friend who was like, oh, I know this lady who's hatching out. And I, I had done my research and we'll, we can talk about breeds and stuff like that. But I knew I wanted barred rocks because they're a really good dual purpose bird, which means that, um, you know, you can eat them and they're egg layers. They're really good egg layers. So I kind of liked that hardiness of them. And so my friend was like, I know this lady who's hatching out barred rocks and let's go and you can get your chickens. And I, I knew nothing. Like I hadn't, I probably knew about brooding them and I probably stopped. I, I don't really remember exactly. Um, it was like 2008 whenever this happened and we had just moved to Tennessee. My husband was still in Pennsylvania working his notice and I'm like, I'm going to go get some chickens. And I had never touched a chicken before in my life. My, like I said, my grandparents had chickens, but I was really little and I don't remember. It wasn't like I was a teenager and I'm picking up chickens. I had no idea. So the lady was so nice. And she said, just go over there to the brooder and pick out the chickens you wanted and I, that you want. And I distinctly remember standing in front of the brooder going, I've never touched a chicken. I don't know if I can do this. And so I just, I opened the brooder up and I picked out 10 chickens and the rest is history. So, um, you know, I went home and threw them in the brooder and had like my, like I said, my husband was still in Pennsylvania. So I knew I had about six to eight weeks to, before they needed to go out into the chicken coop. But thankfully we had an old pole barn and we converted the back half of that into a chicken coop relatively easily. And so um, yeah, so that was, that's my chicken story. I just, I think they're really easy. And I think that, you know, it doesn't take a lot to, to really get them and get started with them. Yeah, exactly. What, if we could, I made a list sort of, and we'll kind of go down the list, but the first thing that I would think is really important, um, to have would be considering, um, safety. Yes. You know, so so it would be great to hear your points. So we'll kind of like go down a little bit of a list and hear your points on safety um, first, putting safety first, thinking about predators. I mean, we live in an area where there's like unlimited, (laughs) unlimited predators, aerial predators, predators that can dig underground, predators that can jump. I mean, all kinds of crazy things. So I'd love to hear um, your main points on safety specifically from predators. Sure. Um, yeah, because I have definitely, so whenever I lived in Tennessee, we did not free range our chickens. We had, like I said, a big, huge chicken coop because we converted the whole back of the barn into a, um, chicken coop. So, and then I had a little chicken, I had a little run for them and I knew nothing. Like I, I thought it was Mm -hmm. great. And then, you know, the more I learned, the more I realized that they really needed to be out uh, free ranging, but we were fortunate that we lived in an area where we had pasture fields um, on three sides of us. Um, I still didn't let them free range that much. Now um, I let them free range. Like the, I'm looking out the window at them right now as they're out in the yard, you know, get uh, doing their chicken thing. But I never had an issue with a predator until we moved to where we're at now. And I, you know, we live on the river, there's hawks, there's eagles. I mean, there's coyotes, there's foxes, there's raccoons, there's everything. But I think what helps is having your security. So they have a chicken run and they have their, which is, you know, connected to their coop. So you open the door up between the run or between the coop and the run. And then they have this enclosed space. It's got a roof on it. Um, if you don't want to have a roof on it, which I highly recommend that you put a roof on just for it to protect them from, you know, rain and snow and the elements and stuff. But the one thing that we do is we also, you can bury some of the wire, um, the chicken wire in the ground, but we lay it down and let the grass grow through it. So it's really secure. Um, Yeah. Cause there's a couple of, there's a couple of like things to consider, I guess, like they do, chickens need like an outside space, but that they don't need a huge space. Right. So if, yeah, if you're not going to free range them, then just make sure that they have adequate space in their chicken run. They need about the, the rule of thumb is about four square feet of uh, per bird in your coop and about 10 square feet of, um, per bird of space in the run. So right now 
like my space is a little small. We're getting ready to do a huge overhaul, renovation, move, expansion kind of thing um, just to make the chickens happy because I do worry about them, um, especially with the hawks. I've lost a couple to hawks here. Um, so for aerial predators, you'll want to make sure that they have plenty of places to hide. If you're going to free range them, they've got some trees, they've got some bushes that they can get under. Um, it's always good roosters as they get a bad rap sometimes, but they really protect their hens. And so they'll be, they'll be the ones who are always looking for the danger and they'll be the ones calling out to the chickens, letting them know. Um, so we're getting ready to add a rooster to our, um, our group, our flock as well. So that's aerial predators. Make sure you have, if you're not going to free range them, make sure they have some sort of wire or netting over them. Um, I've seen people who also have like a chicken, an enclosed run, and then they'll have like a little fenced in area for them to go out. Uh, you can net that as well. Um, and then for like coyotes, foxes, you know, dogs will attack your chickens. Mm. You know, I mean, it's just like, there's no end right to, to what's going <laughs> to, these poor defenseless birds are out in your yard, but the making sure that you have like some chicken wire that's buried in the ground or somehow protected like that. Make sure that your spaces, um, a lot of people will do like chicken wire and then hardwire cloth over it. Um, mm -hmm. so things can't like get through because it's amazing. Like what can squeeze through a little, you know, round hole in the chicken wire. But we fortunately have our coop close to the house. So I think that's what, saves us um a lot of people don't like that because a lot of people will feel like that the chicken coop will draw in like rodents and stuff so yeah um for that you can raise your coop up and not have it on the ground that helps with uh prevent rodents as well understood the um what we do here is um we have an electric fence. Oh, good. And do you have any experience with that? Like, it's the netting. We use the poultry netting. We have two fences that we put together, and it's on an electric charger. Um, in the beginning, we had a solar charger, and, like, the winter sun was just too low in the sky, and it just wasn't, like, getting the job done. So we switched over to, like, a hardwired um, electric fence. So do you have any experience with the poultry netting? I do not. I don't um, because my guys are either in the chicken run or they're free ranging. Um, so I don't use the poultry netting, but that's actually a really good idea for people who want to give their livestock, uh, you know, people use them for sheep and for goats and for, you know, whatever, um, other larger livestock as well to do some rotational grazing. So, um, that's a really great idea. Yeah, it was, um, it's worked out so far. We, I have actually seen foxes and stuff kind of come up to the fence and, um, the fence actually clicks. Okay. It makes a sort of a clicking noise as the charge pulses through and um, so it's kind of a pretty, it's been working out well for us because so far we haven't had anything come through the fence. Nice. Um, we have had some aerial issues too. And um, we've also had some pa ducks pass away. We have ducks here uh, pass away, I think, or die um, from the heat. Okay. Which is something that we can talk about too, because I know, um, you said with chickens, chickens actually, you said they should be inside when it's raining and inside when it's snowing. Well, they don't necessarily need to be inside. It's just, if you have a chick, if you have a run that's, you're going to enclose them in, that's kind of a stationary, you're not doing the rotational grazing or, um, you don't have the fencing, um, then I would put a roof on it. Some people don't. Some people just leave it open and, you know, to the elements or whatever. So ours is just, um, it's got, it's attached to the chicken coop and then it's got a door and then the rest is chicken wire walls. And then it's got a roof on the top of it just because um, that way, you know, they're not like, I'll let them out in the rain if it's not going to be super cold because I don't heat my coop. A lot. Some people heat their coop. Some people don't. There's a lot of, you know, controversy about that. And I have found that with my experience that whenever it just throws them into like complete, like it just throws them off a little bit whenever you heat them, especially with the light. Like some people will do a little heater or whatever, which is different, but it, 
makes them their their bodies don't adjust to the elements so right whenever it's really really cold outside i will lock them in the coop and not let them out so those are the days whenever it's zero outside zero to ten is kind of my that's the high for the day they're in the coop um so i i used to heat them and they you know they continued laying eggs but then they would like have egg laying issues and they would like molt in the spring whenever they're not supposed to be molting. They're only supposed to molt in the fall. So I just found that it was easier just to let them kind of do their little chicken thing that they're supposed to be doing that nature has intended for them to do. So I don't heat the coop, but I also don't want them out whenever it's raining and it's really, really cold and then they can't get warm at night. I, I worry about them with that. So that's why I cover my chicken run. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And that raises the question on breeds, because are there choosing a chicken breed? um, There's lots and there's lots of heritage breeds and things like that. But are there breeds that are better for our climate, you know, better, like hardier winter um, chickens? Yeah. So the thing to look for, and I think everybody kind of has their own, their own idea of what they want out of their chickens. I, like I said, I wanted a dual purpose, like a hardy bird. Um, but barred rocks, they're pretty good cold hardy um, birds, but they have a single comb, which means it's one of the classic combs that you see that's really high and um, has little points on top. So that can get, they can get frostbite and there's ways to prevent frostbite, but there's other birds that will have like a pea comb or a smaller comb, a rose comb that are easier, that are better for uh, cold weather. They won't, um, they're not as susceptible to frostbite, except for, I think what people don't realize too, is that the wattles, that the two little red things that hang off the bottom of their chins, um, those actually are susceptible to frostbite as well. So you can look for a cold hardy bird. And like I have a uh, Wyandotte that is, uh, has a pea comb and I worry about her waddles and not her uh, comb because she's got a little pea comb. But, you know, I think, I think also people want, I think sometimes people are into the colors of the eggs more so than if the bird is, hardy or not hardy so and for the most part the birds that lay the colored eggs are pretty hardy but i think you know i think it's all in what people are looking for right and that's a good point too because some they are kind of ornamental in a way that some of the birds are ornamental they're very pretty and some of the eggs are ornamental but do you know like the eggs the difference in the colors is it just ornamental or is there actually some reasons behind it no so i think it's just it's just the way the chicken genetics um so and the interesting thing is and i don't know if this holds true for like the the i think it probably does in in a way so the their ears have different colors you'll see their their ears will have white or they'll be red and I think sometimes they'll have like a blue tint and their legs will have a blue tint and that's how you kind of know um what color egg they're going to lay so if it's a white egg layer they're going to have white ears if they're going to if they lay brown they're going to have red ears um but I there's no difference in the in the egg it's just the it's just the pigment on the shell there's no difference in the way it tastes or how it looks on the inside it's just I, people just like pretty eggs and I get it. I completely understand. Yeah, exactly. But it, it like, even just to go back to that question for a second, I, I guess like you do need to choose, like, why do you want chickens like on your property and what are they for? Because, um, you know, when we got like our ducks are not, um, very loving, right? <laughs> like they're not like a loving lap duck, like that you would see at like some farm, like a petting zoo. These are ducks that are kind of here for a purpose, right. and they have their wits wits about them. They're even a little bit nervous and scared of you, even though they've seen me every day for almost three years. Um, they still kind of like are like, who are you, and what are you doing in here? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, but I, they're here for a purpose. Um, 
we take the eggs, we eat the eggs. Sometimes we sell the eggs like to our neighbors. And I think it's a good question of like, if somebody was, you know, if a beginner um, homesteaders listening to this podcast and they say to themselves, well, I want chickens. I think like you need, you do need to take some time and think about, well, what are those chickens for? Obviously we get eggs. Yes. But also about their personality and, and like, are you looking for like a loving pet? Because that might not be what they do. Right. There are certain, like, would you say yours? No, my, my, so I think there's a lot of variables that go into making a chicken, a loving pet. I think one is the breed. So there are breeds who are more susceptible to just being like docile and okay, you're going to pick me up. It's not a big deal. I'm not going to like freak out about it. But then there are other ones like I, right now I have um, all heritage breeds and I have Ancanas and they're very beautiful, but they're very flighty. So some of them are like less flighty, but I have one that is Every time I walk near her, I go into the chicken coop at night to, you know, count the chickens. They all made it back into the coop. And she will literally get down off the roost and go flying out the door because she is so flighty. I'll never be able to get her, you know, like you said, with your ducks. They're they're never going to be, you know, let me come sit in your lap. But I think there are certain breeds that are more susceptible to that. So I think there's also some other things that go into it. I find that... I, there's this, you know, we could have a whole podcast on should you, where should you buy your chickens? Should you buy them through a hatchery? Should you mm. buy them from a farm? How do you get your chicken? And I know we're going to talk about this, but I think that my experience has been whenever it's a farm raised chicken, a farm born chicken, like my first flock, whenever I go to the, the ladies, you know, brooder and pick these chickens out that she's just hatched out from her chickens. Um, I found that they're more susceptible to being handled and lovey and, you know, they're not, they're not mass produced. And whenever you get them from a hatchery, which is how a lot of people, I got my chickens from a hatchery. So um, I think that there's other issues because you're mass producing these chickens. Um, And so some of their personality traits aren't going to, aren't going to come through as much as if they were born on the farm. But I also think that finding I guess I just jumped right into the, where do you get your chickens at? Go for it. (laughs) Oh yeah, go um, for it. So whenever you, it's harder to find chickens on the farm nowadays for whatever reason. Um, And so you have to be ready. You have to be prepared to kind of drive a little bit um, to, to find that. So if you're really looking for a heritage, a rare breed, you know, just be prepared that you're going to, you, you know, there's like Facebook groups where you can find things, you can find them on Craigslist, you can find them through, you know, just various avenues and stuff. But um, so I think that I think there's a lot of things that go into that. But the one thing I will say is that if you are getting your birds as baby chicks, handle them, pick them up, play with them, like they're, they're not going to break, you know, if you've got kids, get your kids in there, like have them, you know, make them part of the family while you're brooding them. I think whenever you're more hands off, they're, they're more susceptible to being um, flighty, as we like to say, in the chicken lingo world here. But yeah, I think that's, that's been my experience. And it it makes sense. I mean, when you think about it, like you have, if you're going to like a sort of a big hatchery, um, they have been like manhandled, you know, like manhandled, then they're stuffed in a box and then they're put in a truck and then they're sitting in tractor supply or wherever. Um, And it probably that first week, I I don't know exactly how old they are when they get to a place like tractor supply, though I think tractor supply does a very good job. I'm not right. uh, Right. (laughs) Certainly not like saying anything, but you know, by the time they do get there, um, they've already been through a lot. So you're, you're right. I think um, I've never, that's a point that I've never really thought about trying to get them through somebody really local. Otherwise they're coming in the mail. They do come in the mail. Yes. Um, you know, and our first flock of ducks, which was almost three years ago now, they came in the mail. And even though um, it was a small farm that we ordered them from, you know, they're still kind of like going through a lot where if I just got in my car, drove somewhere local. Um, but you're saying those places are hard to well, find. Well, I think they are. Yeah, harder. I think they're a little harder to find. And I think that you will have to do your research. And I know people get to the 
you know, it's hard because I'm the same way. Like I want to be like, I want chickens and I want them right now. So I'm going to go online. I'm going to order them and they're going to be here next week kind of thing. Um, but mm-hmm. I think that sometimes you just have to figure out what it is that you want. Do you want like a lot of people, like I just hatched out chickens, um, but they're what we call barnyard mixes. So they're, they're not going to be a purebred. Um, they're perfectly fine. You know, they're, they're going to be good, hardy chickens for your backyard flock. But a lot of people, if you're, and they're going to lay the different colored eggs, they're going to be olive eggers. They're going to be, you know, dark Brown. They're going to be the blues, the pinks, the whatever. They're still going to lay those colored eggs. They're just not going to be a purebred. Um, but if you're looking for, you know, like say Anconas, because those are really rare, um, it's going to take a little bit more for you to find those, but you just have to be patient and you, you, you can't order them from the hatchery. I just, it's just like everything, you know, they're, they're mass produced, they're mass hatched. And then they do come to you in the mail, which is amazing to me, you know, that you just, that you walk into the post office and there's this, your peeping package and you pick it up and you bring it home and you know, they're <laughs> just super cute, but Yeah. I think people just have to be patient and really plan it out if they're looking for a very specific breed and if they want them to be farm raised, farm hatched versus um, from a hatchery. Um, Yeah, just do some research. Yeah, and I think that's a good I think that's a good distinction. That's something that I had never really thought about. Now, let's say you get the chicks home. You know, the chicks are home and um how how do you keep them and when do you officially put okay. them outside? So, you're going to get your chickens um if regardless of how they're coming, unless you're on the unless you're at the farm the day that they're hatched, they're probably going to be anywhere from like so whenever a chicken is hatched, it can go 3 days without food and water because it um it absorbs or it eats the egg yolk coming, the sac coming out of the shell. So that's its food for the first few days. So that's how they're able to ship them. Um, but you get them home and assuming that they're not, they haven't been to tractor supply type situation where they're already eating and drinking, you're going to set your brooder up. And I use, if I'm brooding a lot of chickens, um, I will use an old dog crate and I put cardboard around. So, um, the bottom of it, the sides of it. So the shavings don't come out. Cause you want to put down, I've always used pine shavings. A lot of people have like different ways of doing it, but this is what's worked for me is just the pine shavings that you can get at tractor supply or your Agway or your local feed store. Um, they come in those big blocks and, um, you just bring them home and I just throw some shavings in. And it's got the, the dog crate has the pan in the bottom. Um, so yeah. So Mm -hmm. you just put the cardboard around and attach it with zip ties. I usually use heat lamps, although there's, um, these heaters that you can buy that I think Brincy is one of the, um, I think I'm saying that right, is one of the, uh, companies that makes them, but these things are pretty amazing. My friend has one and I've been borrowing it with this, uh, flock that I, these two little birds that I just hatched out and they're loving it. They're so cute going in and from underneath it and coming out. It's adorable. But so I think I'm going to invest in a heater versus the heat lamps, but heat lamps are perfectly fine. They're inexpensive. You just have to make sure that they're really secure because they get really hot. And, um, you know, there's a fire hazard with those if they drop or whatever on the shavings. So just make sure that you secure those pretty well. So chickens want to be about like 95 degrees or so whenever they come to you, if they're, especially if they're coming to you through the mail and they're only a couple days old. Um, and then what you do is you just start raising that lamp and, and you can tell it's important to be able to like read a chicken's behavior. Um, so if they're all clumped up underneath that lamp, and they're staying underneath there clamped up, then they're cold. So you need to lower that lamp down and get them warm. Mm-hmm. But if they're all like spread out and they're not going underneath the lamp, then they're too warm. So you need to raise it up. But a chicken will be like, 
you know, they'll go lay down and they'll be underneath the heat lamp and then they'll get up and they'll go play and they'll go eat and they'll do this stuff. That's a normal kind of chicken behavior. But if they're like acting weird where they're all clumped up or they're like all spread out all the time, then you need to think about that lamp. But all they need is just some chick starter food and some water to get them started. And whenever you get them, if you get them through the mail and they haven't been in any sort of brooder situation like tractor supply or at the farm or, you know, your local feed store or whatever, then you need to get them eating and drinking pretty immediately. And I just take their little, you just take their little head and just dunk it in the water. Not like for long, you just dunk their little head in the water. And then they usually, uh, that usually starts the reflex of drinking and then they're fine. They're pretty easy. Now the, uh, yeah, the, uh, I think so. I think yes. so. And they're oh adorable. My gosh. Oh my goodness. They're like, so, so cute. <laughs> they're yes. so cute when they're that little. Um, with the other day when we were in tractor supply too, we saw, um, chick, grit and I actually wound up picking it up because I thought that a lot of times what happens with ducks and chickens is a lot of the the feed yeah. is the same or there, there's like a lot of like overlay because they make these like general poultry mm-hmm. prod- products so I saw a chick grit and I was like oh let me pick this up for the ducks because we just picked up six nice. uh, khaki campbell ducks and they're in our mud, mud room right now um and I put the chick grit out and it's like crushed granite so I wanted to ask you about that too like right. what is this crushed granite I don't think it's for so, ducks so yeah because you you asked me so I'll finish. You asked me how long they need to stay in the brooder. So they'll be in the brooder for like six to eight weeks. They need to be fully feathered out before they go outside. So, and people can, bro- you can brood your, you can set up a brooder outside so that it's not in your house. Cause it is kind of messy to have them in. Cause they, they, you know, churn up that, uh, the, uh, the flakes, the dust and it gets everywhere. So, um, but so they need to be fully feathered before they go out. Chick grit is, um, so chickens don't have teeth, obviously, so they can't chew their food. So they, it, their food goes into what we call a crop before it goes on through the system into the gizzard and stuff. And the grit is what goes into their crop and into their gizzard to help them grind up their food. So chickens need big you know bigger pieces but chicks obviously don't need these huge pieces of uh this granite or they like if you free range them then they can pick it up like in the yard they'll pick up rocks and stuff like that um but i still have free choice um grit for the chickens they also need calcium once they start laying which we can get to in a minute but um for the chickens so like with my babies whenever i brood them i only like for the first couple of weeks, I leave them strictly on just their food. Um, it's very tempting. Like I was cutting up strawberries yesterday and I was so tempted to give them a strawberry, but I'm like, I don't have any chick grits. So I'm not going to give it to them. But once you start feeding them anything mm-hmm. other than um, their food, you need to have chick grits so they can start putting that into their crop and into their gizzard so they can grind up their food. Otherwise you come, there's this thing called impacted crop, which means that they don't have the rocks in there to grind up their food and it'll actually get really hard and impacted. And it's like one of the things that can happen. Yeah. Mm, right. And I just want to say here, nothing is more messy than oh. baby ducks. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sure baby chicks are super messy, but man, ducks are so messy. They, it's incredible. I don't know. Like they are, they just make such a mess. I've changed the pine shavings like eight times oh, wow. in the last like, 10 days. So <laughs> I've, I know they're I've just so that, messy, though. but I've heard, Oh, so, so I, there's another, whenever I went to mm-hmm. tractor supply a couple of weeks ago, they had the baby ducks and I was so tempted and I'm like, what am I crazy? I don't, I don't need ducks right now. <laughs> yeah. And that's like a whole other level of integration too, yes. ducks and chickens, like, which I wanted to ask you about, but so, okay. So they're in the brooder, you're changing the water, you're changing the feed, you're making sure they're warm enough. Um, they're obviously growing uh, yes. and they grow pretty rapidly. And um, when we went to the store the other day, I was charmed because the lady was asking, you know, do you know what you're getting into? You know, these, you can't return these. When you bring these home, they get big. And I was like, you know, we've had chickens. I mean, we've had ducks for three years. Um, but she did bring up a good point. Like, you know, these get in, they grow yes. into like a pretty big. Yes animal and well, you need to be ready so, for that yeah i mean a full-grown chicken I, my anconas are not what we call dual purpose so they're actually pretty 
skinny. So they're probably only three or four pounds, but they're full grown. You know, they're, they're, they're big. And then my heavier breeds like the Marins and the Bard Rocks are, they've got to be five, six, seven pounds. Like they're pretty big birds. So they come into you in these cute little, like, like you said, they're adorable. And you think, oh my goodness, how fun are these guys going to be? And then the next thing you know, you have like a five or six pound bird that, you know, like they're cute, but they're big. They're like the size of a little dog, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it's a big, this was the first year that I really noticed it because I go from the ducks that are in the, in the house, in the mudroom to outside to watering the big ducks. And I just, it was the first time it really occurred to me, wow, the ducks are big. It's a big, yeah. it's a big bird, um, you know, and they do have to live outside. So you don't want to, you want to, I think like you do, you want to find a balance between handling the bird and letting the bird know that, um, you know, I'm your steward, you can trust me. And, but you also want them to have yes. their wits and their defenses and not be like a total exactly. wimp outside, yeah. you, know? you know, because they, but the, you know, they're defenseless out there. Like they're, they're the low on the pecking order here. So like, all like we were talking earlier they have so many predators that like dogs cats like everything um so yeah you want them to be able to see the danger that's coming you know in the air across the yard or the pasture field or whatever yeah but you i don't know i kind of want them to i want them to know that i'm mama chicken too <laughs> <laughs> I know some, some blend for sure. Like I agree with you hundred percent. Um, so you would say about seven to nine weeks, are they fully feathered or how, uh, what would your estimate be? Eight weeks or so. Yeah. Eight to around that general area. They're usually fully feathered. Um, and then they're, so if you're integrating them into a flock, then you want them to be a little bit bigger. They, they need to be able, because Chickens have, you've heard of the pecking order. It's, it's true. They have this pecking order and they're pretty brutal to each other. Like they can, I have one chicken because they've been bored. Cause we had such a, you know, long, like snowy winter that they got really bored. They weren't able to come out as much. Um, it was really cold. So they started picking on one of the chickens who I presume is on the low, low end of the pecking order and she doesn't have feathers on her back now. So I had to put a saddle on her, which is a whole other topic of, you know, what do you do? But I made a chicken saddle and you just put it on her and then they can't get to her back to pick on her. And so now they're free ranging. So they're not as, they're not as bored, but they get bored and they pick on each other. But so you want the chick that you're going to, or chickens that, that you're going to integrate into that flock. You want them to be big enough to defend themselves. That's a good point. And a little bit scared. That's something I am a little bit nervous of. And um, this okay. would be my first time integrating and I'm actually going to be ordering. Um, I found a small farm, a family farm. Um, oh. I'm going to be ordering geese. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I know. And that's a whole other conversation. But what they said is that um, ducks and geese definitely okay. have like a good vibe. Um, and not all of the geese are very aggressive. There, There's like a, a chart of like super aggressive geese to, to like ornamental geese that are just really beautiful to look at. And um, so I'm going to be integrating the khaki Campbells um, that we have. And then I'm also going to be integrating geese. And so this is going to be, I think like a, a little bit more hands-on um, than I'm, you know, ready, but, but I, we definitely right. want you the know, geese. Yeah. And we definitely need more birds and for it's, us. It's a long process, but I imagine it's going to work about the same way as chickens. So you just kind of start, depending on how your setup is, you'd start with having them side by side. So for example, I'll like, if I was going to integrate birds, um, I would have the chickens, my big girls in the chicken run. And then I would have the ones I'm going to incorporate outside of the run in some sort of, you know, like maybe the dog crate or whatever, um, without the, without any shavings and without the pan in it so they can get to the grass and stuff. 
so they're side by side, they see each other. And then eventually, you know, you just keep doing that. And then I bring the birds that are in the crate, bring them inside for safety reasons at night. Um, but all day you leave them out there. And then eventually what you would do is put the crate in the chicken run. So then they are in the same space together, but the baby birds are still protected from the big birds. And eventually, you know, what you'll do is you'll be able to open that up and they'll, you know, or you could throw them all out in the yard together, let them free range together, you know, after they've been introduced And this. I mean, it can take like up to two weeks to do. And it's a bit of a process. People have had success with just taking the birds out at night once everybody's roosting and just throwing the birds in there and everybody just kind of reestablishes their pecking order the next day. And they're kind of like, eh, okay, no big deal. So there's a couple of different ways to go about it. Yeah. And it, yeah. a trial by error. Right. And I mean, I don't know if like, if you've had this experience, but like we're, we're still new to having chickens and or to having ducks and we have had some loss, you know, and probably some of that has to do with us. And it's not because we neglect them, but just understanding their yeah. needs for space and for water. Um, and so you need to replace them and, and replacing them means integrating. So you'll probably just, this was my first year, which will be in where I'm like actually integrating a new flock and then I'm even integrating like a new species or new, um, you know, the, the geese will be like a whole new thing. But, um, you know, we started um, almost three years ago. We had, I think, 15 ducks oh, wow. um, and we're down to six. So this year we are, yeah. and that's over two years. And that's some through some trial and error. Right. We had a dog issue. Um, we had an owl issue. And then I believe the heat there, that we weren't adequately, adequately prepared for. Like we had a very, very hot last summer, year. maybe last year. And we, we just really weren't prepared for that. Now we have water near the, near our house and I was refreshing the water, but I, you know, I, there was, I was making amendments as we were going along. I added a fan to the house then we added another pool. Like then we added a shade tent. Like there was, these are things that I'm, I'm just it's learning. Hard. Yeah. It's hard to know everything to though. do. It's, you know, and, and sometimes it is trial and error. Sometimes you think you're prepared, you know, it's like my chicken coop and my chicken run. I had, I had a flock of five birds prior to this flock. And I really like to keep my flock somewhere, like I'd like to have 10 birds total, which is a really good number for me, really good manageable number. Um, they produce a lot of eggs, you know, whenever they're laying, they're really laying. So um, you can, you can, like, I probably have about three or four dozen eggs right now, just from this past like week or so, week, two weeks. And it's a lot. Um, so I think, you know, like this, the, my setup, like I said, we're going to do like a big expansion because my run's too small for them, but there's nothing I could do about it because you don't figure this stuff out until there's snow on the ground and they can't come out. And you're like, oh, I should have done this in the fall. So there is some of that trial and error that goes along with it. And I, I mean, you're not going to, they're the lowest animal on the packing order. So it's hard to keep them, they're susceptible to all, all kinds of things. Um, so you have to expect that there's going to be loss and you try your best and right. you do the best that you can for them, you know, but there's just, there's just always going to be loss. It's hard. I cry every time I lose a bird. It's like, yeah, it's, of course. I know that's, uh, you know, that's the homesteading, what you're saying, that's the homesteading spirit though, because you, you know, right. these are now part of your home. These are your, they're not your pets, but they're, they're part of your home. They're part of your family. And so you do whatever it takes and you have to use your inventiveness. You have to use things that you already own. Right. You don't want to go broke. I mean, when I look at the investment already that we've made in the house and the fencing, um, I look at like the food, the upkeep on the food, yes. we buy mealworms, like regularly buy mealworms to keep them um, and I know we wanted to talk about calcium, but you know, there's, when I look at the investment in them, you know, you do, you want them to really be thriving because it can, it can get expensive. Um, and you know, you do have to use your inventiveness and it is like, I learn something new every year with them. Like as, as we go through different seasons, as we go through the weather, as we go through winter, you know, yes. we, this winter was very difficult with the amount of snow and the snow is just starting to melt. This is the first time that I'm seeing the ducks go outside. Yeah. 
outside. I mean, these are things to keep in mind and, and, you know, think about, I think that the initial expense of them is probably going to be the hardest expense. You've got, you've got to get them. You've got to brood them. You've got to get a coop. You've got to, you know, have your outside system done. You got to get feeders, you got to get waterers. But then once you get to that point, they're not as expensive, but I think that whenever people see eggs at the farm market and somebody's charging like five, $6 for a dozen eggs, I don't think people should balk at that at all because there's no way you can charge the amount of money you need to charge for those eggs to ever recoup your, you know, the, what you've put into the uh, chickens. So, or ducks or geese or whatever it is that you're, whatever eggs you're buying. They're, you know, five or $6 is really like, I charge sometimes like $3 depending on, you know, what, like how many I have or whatever. But I think five, four or $5 is really not unreasonable for homegrown eggs. I've paid, I've paid even more than that. You know, before we had ducks, um, I've paid up to $8. And sometimes if you go down towards like the tri-state area, you'll see um, eggs for like $12. And, and you do, you say, wow, that's like a lot, but then think about a commercial egg operation, which is the reason that we're keeping chickens in the first place. (laughs) So in order for a chicken in a mass produce, an egg, to be in a mass produced situation in order for it to be considered organic, it has to have access to the outside. That's all. It doesn't mean it's outside. It just means it has to have access to the outside. So whenever you look at that and you drive by the farm and you Mm. see, or the homestead or whatever, and you see these chickens out free ranging, or, you know, even if they're not free ranging, because not everybody can free range their chickens or want to, because they want to protect them. You just consider that, look at them and look at the situation. What does the situation look like? And you can tell if you, if you come up to a, a homestead or a farm or whatever, and they're all like, you know, I mean, considering like it was winter, every animal is going to look a little worse for the wear because it was a long, cold, snowy winter. But if it's, if they're not looking like they're healthy, then they're probably not in a great situation. But if you come here and you see my chickens running around, you're going to be like, Oh, I want those eggs. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't balk at the fact that they're, that I'm charging you $5 a dozen or $12 or whatever that happens to be, because it's just a much better product. Exactly. And that's a good lead into the um, maintenance. Um, the two questions I would ask for you here then are now that we've got the birds like outside, they're fully feathered. When do they start laying and what are your tips or recommendations for a good healthy diet? Chickens will start laying people get, people think, Oh, I'm going to get these chickens and then they're going to grow and they're going to go outside. And then in two months, I'm going to have eggs. They really will not start laying until they're five or six months old, depending on the bird. Um, so what you want to do is you start them on a starter diet until they're about eight weeks old, and then they go to a grower diet. And these are all, whenever you go to the store, you'll see these. They'll, they'll either say starter, starter grower, or like starter and then grower. Um, and there's organic feeds out there. There's, you know, commercially made, they're all commercially made, but there's some organic, there's some, com- you know, conventional uh, conventional feeds out there. You can make your own. This is my next project is I'm going to start making my own. Um, I've been doing some research and you would just mix your own. Um, but I think you really, this is not one of those things. If you make your own food, you don't want to like wing it. Like I do on some things. This is one of those things where I I'm even like, I'm not going to wing this because they need a special, you know, they need certain vitamins and minerals and you know, whatever. So um, we talked about the chick grit. They, once they're like, once you start feeding them any sort of human food, what I call human food, um, which is what they're, I mean, that's the other thing that we didn't even talk about is they're great for eating all your scraps and, you know, like leftovers and you're, you know, you're cutting up vegetables. And if you're not using the vegetables wholly and you have like things left over, they'll eat that. They're perfect for that. So, um, you want to give them this, uh, the grit. And then once they get to be about laying age, 
you want to switch them over to a layer feed. And that just has more calcium in it and a lower protein. And then you want to give them free form calcium. And it's just oyster shell. And you can buy that again at your tractor supply, your Agway, your feed store. But I give them, I have um, two little feeders in my coop and one has the grit and one has the calcium. So they can just get it that you don't have to force it on them. They'll know they'll, they'll go over and get what they need. And then yep. you just need to give them their food. So there's a couple different ways that people feed them. I give them food in their coop 24 hours a day. I let them do what they need to do. Like they'll, they'll eat it. They won't eat it. Um, I'm, some people will do like a 12 on 12 off. Some people say, don't feed them in the coop, feed them in the run. I have always had my food and my water in the coop. And then I have a waterer in the run. Um, and that's just my setup. So, you know, just whatever people feel comfortable with, there's a lot of people say that the food will draw in um, you know, they'll eat the food because they're very messy. I get the pellets. So there's crumbles and then there's pellets whenever it comes to the food. I always give pellets because there's less mess. The crumbles, they just seem like they just take and put it like they just, I don't know why they do this, but they just like, they're so messy with it. They just shove it right out of the uh, feeder onto the floor. So I, and people say um, mm -hmm. that that is what can draw the rodents in and stuff, which I believe it will. But I've just always had good success with having the food and the water in the coop. So that's what I do. Um, and then they need their calcium. They need their grit. And there's not really much else that they really need. You can give them, you know, the scraps, like I said, and leftovers and, and anything like that. Yeah, exactly. They do. It's pretty amazing to watch the ducks that we have because they are self-managing. They know what yeah. they need better than we know what we <laughs> what we need. Like you can, as, and I think like just applying it, um, having it there. Like you said, you have the two different feeders. One that's more calcium has the calcium, and then the other one that doesn't. They do. They they're very self-managing. They yeah. they they clean themselves. They they really are hands off in a lot of ways, and I think that's yes. why it is a nice yeah. element. They like um, just bathing. So like ducks will bathe themselves, I presume, with like, you know, they have the water and stuff. Chickens have a dust bath and you'll see them and you're like, what are they doing? You think they're dying because they're like, out, they're like, I don't know, the sun. They're funny whenever they're in the sun too, like whenever they're sunbathing. But like they're out there and they're like doing all these different like moves and you're like, what are they doing? And they're really just dust bathing. And it's just like a little dirt and a little mm -hmm. sand. Some people will use um, different things in there, but I usually just give them a sand and they're out there and they're happy. They love it. And they get up and they shake themselves off. And that's, you know, that's how they keep themselves clean and free of like mites and lice and things like that. Exactly. And I think like, you know, cause we are, we'll be approaching our hour, but I definitely want to talk about water and how often you're doing, you know, the water. Now with our ducks, it's like, they go through a lot of water and yeah. they make their water very, very dirty because I think that they kind of regurgitate or they, I, I don't know what they do, but it's crazy. And um, so I want to definitely talk to you, to you about water, because if somebody's really looking to get into chickens, um, keeping chickens, yeah, water is all year round. Yes. And that includes like in the dead of winter. And um, we're very lucky here because we do have outside water. Like we have a frost free uh, valve. So maybe you could just go over to like water and, and how you yeah, refresh so it and that's what's your really water good. plan. Um, chickens need a lot of water. They, they drink one to two cups per day per bird. So you can go to your local feed store and you can buy, they're usually coming a gallon size water. And that's what I use. I also have like a five gallon bucket with the little nipples on the bottom for the chicken run. And they really like that. And it takes them a, just a little bit to adapt to it. But once they figure it out, it's actually really good. And it stays really clean, but you need to give them fresh water every day in the summer. You need to be changing that water probably more often, just because as we talked, it was really hot here last summer. It was like over 90 degrees for an extended period of time which is unusual for our area, but they need fresh water and they like their water to be about 50 to 55 degrees. Um, so basically tap water, you know, you turn the tap on cold and then that's usually sufficient for them. Um, I take the water out every day in the mornings and I, 
you know, in the summer, I leave the, I leave my water out all the time, except for in the winter, like all night long. Um, cause I figured like if they get up before I get out there, cause sometimes I like to have coffee in bed before I go let the chickens out. And so I want them to have their water and their food. Um, so I change their water at least every day. I clean my waterers. I used to clean them every single day. Like I would give them a fresh waterer every day, but now I do like every couple of days, as long as it's not really, really dirty. And then in the winter, there's different things you can do. If you have access to electric, you can get a um, de-icer or you can get a heater that goes on your, my, my heater, my waterers hang from the, um, from the ceiling. So I can't really, there's no good way for me to have a heater out there. But what I do is I just go out, I start with fresh water in the morning. And then usually if it's going to be really cold, I'll go out probably around lunchtime and I check on them and make sure, see how their water situation is. And it just gives me a way to check on them too. It gives me an excuse to go out there and make sure that they're okay, that they're not, you know, nobody's frozen. There's no frostbite. There's, you know, nothing weird is going on. Um, so but a lot of people really like the uh, heaters. I just, I kind of look at it like it's just another reason to go out and check on them. And, and it, you know, my coop isn't that far away from the house. So there's also that issue that people have too, is like, if your coop is far away, then, you know, it's a little harder to get back and forth and with the water and stuff. So maybe then it's a good idea to have a heater for the, uh, or a de-icer for your waterer. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's a really great point because when we were deciding a location for the duck house, we considered a lot of places. We even have a pond and we were like, wow, life yeah. would be really easy if we just put them on the pond. Um, but I knew in the end of the day, I was like, no, I want to be yeah. able to look out the window and see them. Or at least if I can't see them, know that they're in their house. Um, you haven't seen our setup yet, but basically, it, you know, I can look out my living room window and see them. Um, and in the summer, they're outside all day. Um, and, you know, I could talk, we could do another show about like some of the things I did for predators. But one of the things that I did for this space is we have the electric fence. Um, and I sort of put some stakes mm -hmm. around like some wooden stakes. And I hung, uh, put some pink survey tape, orange survey tape that blows in the wind um, to kind of keep any aerial predators at bay. I mean, there's, you know, I guess in the bottom line is there are just so many things to think about from placing the house to water to do you have electric, like what is there, yeah. um, you know, to make them as comfortable as possible yeah. so and, that they know, are like, integrated. If I had to do it in a perfect world, I would definitely have electric going out to my chicken coop. Just some people have, like my friends have a, a barn. So it's partly heated and but it has electric so they have a light out there and they you know if they wanted to put a heater out there they could um if they wanted to you know ha they have the de-icers or the um the uh heaters for their waterers because they have the electric so you know like if you have the ability to do those things definitely think about it because i run an extension cord out and i have a little fan for the summer um, and I leave the windows open all the time. My, my coop isn't that big. My coop is, um, it was built locally, um, in North branch and, um, it's only, I think it's enough. I think I have enough for 10 birds. Cause I think that was kind of my criteria. I need 10 birds. And so it's not huge, but if I had to do it all over again, or if I thought about doing it differently, I would definitely consider electric or some, some, you know, something like that for sure. Cause I think that's helpful to have that. Yeah. All right. So then maybe just to sort of distill the conversation down, if you gave, you know, somebody's listening to this and a listener thinks like they want to add chickens to the homestead, what would be like the distilled points um, that um, you would give them? I would them do my research. Really I would think about what you want for your birds. And I would highly recommend that you search that out in terms of a local farm, homestead, uh, hatchery type thing. Um, I would, gosh, that's really hard to, <laughs> what would I do? <laughs> yeah well I would yeah a lot um, I yeah. would think about do a lot of things where you're gonna put them how are you gonna house them um you know what what do you have at your disposal this doesn't have to be you know a, a 
expensive project if can you build something yourself um think about how you're going to have them safely um does that mean a run does that mean your electric netting you know what that kind of thing and um how many chickens do you think you can handle we didn't even talk about this you know like what's what's your magic number um some people you know like if you if you have a chicken house and a chicken space for 10 chickens don't add 20 you know only add the 10 don't don't overcrowd them um so just think about things like that yeah, well, we'll definitely. Yeah. I'll definitely have you back on for like a round two of questions. And another thing that w this can be a plug for you is that you actually do homestead consultations, and maybe you could tell the listeners about that. And as and then we'll wrap up with you know any events you have okay, coming sure. up and yeah, your website. Yeah, so I and definitely like that. do consulting. Whether it's um, you know I want to buy a homestead and I don't know if this land is the right you know property for me, or I've already bought this property, what can I do with it? So I do that type of consulting. I also um, offer private in-home uh, classes for people, regardless, it's not just chickens. Like if you want to know how to make a pie, um, you want to seed starting, anything. Um, and if I don't know how to do it, like for say, I don't do beekeeping, I bring in a beekeeper to teach those. I do classes on my homestead, um, I have a pie making class coming up in April and, um, yeah, so I just kind of, I do virtual classes. I do classes for libraries. So I kind of, you know, very versatile, but I do enjoy the private classes. I enjoy getting to know people in their setting. Um, and you know, it's just, it's a lot of fun. Okay, great. And where can listeners find your website and, um, your social media and sure. any so other my ways to contact you. Chickenlibrarian.com. Um, and I have all kinds of information on there. I have a class schedule. I have, um, I do a blog. So I'm always either blogging about what's going on on the homestead or um, sharing recipes and tips and tricks. Um, I am on Facebook, Chicken Librarian, and I'm on Instagram, again, Chicken Librarian. And um, I might, you can contact me. I've got my contact information on my website. For, my email is chickensandthelibrarian at gmail.com, which is a mouthful. So people can just, people can just do the contact uh, page <laughs> on my website if they can't remember Chickens and the Librarian. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I think we hit some topics that are not normally covered and then we can always come back. If there are questions from listeners that we could always come back and do a round yeah. two. Um, there's so much to talk about and it is such a big, big decision. Um, so hopefully we can, you know, help people make a better decision and then drive, you know, let people know the service well, that you're so providing much. as really well, which is really, really yeah, cool. And if people have questions, I'm happy to jump back on or, you know, however, and answer those questions. Oh. Cause I was just thinking of all the things we didn't even talk about. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. I know. I know. Well, we'll do a round two. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Kristen. I'll Bye. talk. Okay, guys, just some quick closing notes here. Hope you enjoyed uh, the episode with Kristen talking about all things chickens. So if you are interested in taking the next step with your homestead, Kristen can come and give you an assessment. Uh, she's an awesome resource in the area and she has so much knowledge to share. So shelter, water, and electric are a few of the main components to consider if you want to have a healthy and thriving flock of birds. And having those things before you get the flock uh, is a great suggestion. So again, keep an eye out for our next episode coming soon. And in the meantime, if you do have any questions, please feel free to reach out, uh, leave a message for Kristen or myself at our respective websites uh, for the next episode. Uh, subscribe and share. And thank you so much for listening.